or her birthday. Maybe it also results in what I hope to be a rethinking of priorities in our lives. You know, this morning I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to depart from this sermon series to keep with the theme of our, our VBS. And I want us to look together today at a Bible passage where the almost syndrome is being played out. It's found in Acts chapter number 26. Beginning with verse number 24, and let me give you a little bit of context so you can understand what's happening here. The Apostle Paul, who became the greatest evangelist that the world has ever known, the man who has written more than two-thirds of what we call the New Testament, has been arrested for preaching the gospel. And he, being a Roman citizen, he has told the Roman authorities, you cannot do this to me because I'm a Roman citizen. And his whole goal in doing that is he wants to have the opportunity to take the gospel message to the city of Rome, which was the the greatest city in the world at that particular time. You'll remember that the world, uh, as they knew it at that time, was under Roman rule. And so he wanted to be able to get to Rome, and the only way that he could do that was to divulge to those Jewish authorities who had arrested him that he was a Roman citizen. Well, when he told them that he's a Roman citizen, that put everything in a whole different context. Because not only did the Jews not have the right to uh, arrest a Roman citizen, that meant that he had to be tried before Roman authorities in Rome, which would then give him the opportunity that he'd been hoping for. But before he does that, he's brought before a man whose name is King Agrippa. Now, they're still in Israel. They are in a place called Caesarea. And there is this great amphitheater in Caesarea. And in Caesarea, it is the, the port, so to speak, where ships leave that are traveling toward Rome. And so Paul, being in chains is brought before King Agrippa, and he has an opportunity to share about Jesus with King Agrippa. And that's where it takes up in verse number 24. As Paul was making his defense this way, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, I think I said Agrippa, I meant Festus. No, I'm right, I'm right, just hang in there with me. Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters. It is to him I'm actually speaking boldly, for I'm not convinced that any of these things escapes his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul... Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? Now, another translation of that says that Agrippa said to Paul, Today I am almost persuaded to become a Christian. 
Now let's read on from there. I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you but all who listen to me today might become as I am except for these chains. So the king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with them got up, and when they had left, they talked with each other and said, this man is doing nothing that deserves death or chains. Lord Jesus, you know better than I the lack of preparation that's gone into this message this morning. However, I know that by the urging of your Holy Spirit, You've called upon me, Lord, today to change my plans for the sake of yours. And so it's for this reason, dear Jesus, that I ask for your anointing to be upon this short message this morning. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you begin to search hearts even now for those that perhaps today, times in the past, or maybe even in the future, may be almost persuaded to become believers in you as their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. King Agrippa was a man that didn't understand the value of advanced planning when it came to eternal things. He was what we would call a pagan king. He hadn't heard the gospel. He hadn't believed in the gospel. He's a perfect example of what Jesus himself was talking about when he said, for what does it profit a man if... He gains the whole world and loses his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, King Agrippa had almost everything that there was to have. He had riches. He had power. He had control. He had prestige. But he declined or neglected, I guess I should say, making a decision on the most important thing that any of us ever have to make a decision on. And that is his eternal destiny, our eternal destiny. Looking back over my own life, there were decisions that I made that really totally changed the direction of my life. Decisions like getting married. Decisions like having kids and becoming a parent, Uh, other things like making a, almost making a decision to to travel around the country singing uh, Christian music. Didn't make that decision. Boy, am I glad I didn't. Making a decision like going to college, many other decisions. And each one of those choices that I made had the potential to impact me either for positive or negative. So is it, such is the case with every choice that we make in life. You know, some choices that I've made in my life worked out. And uh, boy, am I glad they did. They were good choices. But the other side of that coin is there's also been some choices that I've made in my life that weren't quite so good. Choices that didn't turn out quite so well. And I'm pretty sure that the same can be said for each of us here this morning. We've all made some good choices, and we've all made some bad choices. But in order for a choice to become a decision, there is one key component that moves it from the realm of being a choice 
to an ironclad decision. Anyone know what it is? You have to act on that choice. You have to take action. Just thinking about your choice, just considering the choice, is not enough. Now, I I did take the time this morning. I keep a handy dictionary right next to my computer in my office, and so I can look up challenging words to see what they mean. So I looked up the word, almost. Now, I think probably most of us here this morning have a pretty good idea of what the word almost means, but here's what Webster said. Almost means not exactly, not yet, not in fact, but very close to being or happening as described. Almost. Here's the problem. Many people find themselves confronted with the same eternal choice or the same eternal scenario, if you will, that we read about King Agrippa being faced with here in Acts chapter number 26. The problem is they never take action and make a firm decision on that choice. Now, that may be because they don't believe, or they think that there's always going to be a tomorrow, or they think that it's foolishness, or, or even they, don't, they like the, their lives the way that they are, so they don't see a need to make a choice. Now, whatever the reason... They never move from the realm of choice to decision. They're almost persuaded to give their lives over to Jesus. But for some reason, they pull back and say, no, I'll make the decision later. Well, I don't know about you, but when I hear stuff like that, that's frightening. And it's frightening because the Word of God very clearly tells us in John chapter 3, verse number 18... That by not making a decision, you have actually made a decision. Look what John says in that 18th verse of John chapter number 3. He says, anyone who believes in him, speaking of Jesus, is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. A delayed decision is a decision to delay the decision. Are you with me? Um, As I look over this passage in Acts chapter number 26, and honestly, uh, Acts chapter number 26, this particular passage did not just come to my thought processes this morning a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I had a devotional where it talked about how King Agrippa was almost persuaded. And so I've had that in the back of my mind for the last two weeks. And as I've thought about this situation with King Agrippa, here's some things that it tells me. First of all, it tells me that when we stand before God, procrastination is not going to be an excuse for not making a decision. Can I put that in plain and simple language? God's not going to give you a do-over. God is not going to give you a get-out-of-making-a-decision card. When you stand before God, you you are going to be judged by the decision that you have made, either proactively or reactively. And a no decision is a decision. That tells me that today, as the gospel writer said, today is the day of salvation. 
Now is the time to receive Jesus, not later. But we all think, we have this in our mind that we are invincible and that there's always going to be a tomorrow. The Apostle James talked about this, and James, you know what, I didn't even write my scripture reference down, but I'm glad I typed it in there. The Apostle James says this, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, James said. What your life will be, for you are like smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. He says, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Trust me when I tell you that's found in James chapter 4. I don't have the exact verses, but you can read it and find out. Honestly, before Christ came into my life, I kind of thought along those lines. You know, as a teenager, I kept doing the things that my friends were doing. And, 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 you know, you've heard me say this before. I knew, I knew what it meant to be a Christian. But I also knew what I wanted. And there were things that I wanted to do that were in conflict with the things that Christians, believers in Jesus, would make as a part of their life. And so I lived with this philosophy of, eh, maybe later, God, I'll get serious about serving you. Maybe some point later in my life, I'll, 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 when I'm ready, when I'm, when I'm done with having fun, when I, when I feel ready, then I'll make a firm decision and stick to it. You know, looking back, I can't even begin to count the number of times that I had said almost to God. God, I'm almost there. I'm almost ready to make that decision. Almost today, tonight, at this service, God, you've, you've almost persuaded me to get serious about my relationship with you. And then I begin to think of all the people that God put into my life. All the different situations in my life that should have impacted that decision sooner rather than later. But I just kept saying... Wait a little longer, God. I got some things that Terry wants to do. And as soon as Terry gets done with those things, then he'll get serious about a relationship with you. Aren't you glad God's patient? (laughs) Man, God God was so patient with me. And what I realize as a result of that is that there's no guarantee of how patient God is going to be with us. We've all seen it played out in in the lives of people who are close to us. That patience that God gives is truly grace that is demonstrated to us on a daily basis. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is it that keeps people in the camp that Agrippa found himself in, the camp of almost? What is it? Well, as you might imagine, I didn't have time for three points in a outline this morning. So I just touched on and wrote down the first two things that come to my mind about what it is that keeps us in camp almost. And the first thing that I came up with was this, conventional thinking. You know what conventional thinking is? 
conforming to socially accepted customs of behavior or style. Conventional thinking says that belief in God is is foolishness. It's for people who are weak-minded. People who believe that the Bible has a bunch of nice stories. That's conventional thinking. People that trust it are trust in those stories as being factual and absolutely true. Those are narrow-minded people. That's conventional thinking. You see, just because, friends, we can't fully figure out God, it doesn't negate the existence of God. And it, it doesn't make the scriptures fictional just because we may not understand or believe that they are true. God's existence doesn't rely on our limited understanding of him just because this simplistic, conventional thinking denies the existence of God. That doesn't make it true. It's no different than a man that takes a loaded gun and holds it to his head and foolishly says, nothing's going to happen, and then pulls the trigger. It's no different. Conventional thinking is limited to the, human, to the extent of our human understanding. But the knowledge of God is boundless. You know, as we advance, as we grow older, this is true for most of us, I hope, we grow in our knowledge. We get smarter as we get older. How many of you are working on that still? Hopefully we're getting smarter as we get older. I mean, think about it. There's some great examples of what the way that, that we used to think in this world. Hadn't been too many hundred years ago, they thought the earth was flat. Right? But as discovery took place, they figured out that the earth was round. Another one. <laughs> this is kind of stupid, but... You know, I'm kind of stupid, so my mom used to tell me when I'd cross my eyes and look at her, she'd say, Terry, you cross your eyes, they're apt to stay that way. Now, I don't know if that's ever worked for anybody, but that's what she thought, and that's what I thought for many years. But contrast our thinking to God's thinking. God never gets smarter. He already knows Everything there is to know. And conventional thinkers might believe that they have God all figured out. They might think that all of this Christian stuff is a joke. They might think that anyone who who believes in God is foolish. But the fact is this. They are the ones operating on an evolving understanding of this universe and the human race itself. So they're the ones that are still learning. Some pitch a tent in the camp of almost because they, of their intellect. Well, I'm smart. I'm educated. So I don't buy into all of this Jesus stuff. Others find themselves there because of, of worldly pleasures. Now, I'm quite sure that there are many of us in the room, myself included, who know about that camp of worldly pleasures because we've been pitching our tent there for a good while. You know, as a teenager, I, I had set up this camp, and I was having barbecues there on a regular basis, amen? 
toasting marshmallows, having, having a good old time in the camp of worldly pleasure. There was a time in my life when I thought, you know what? I'm all set. I like my life the way that it is, and, and, and I like the things that I'm doing, so there's no reason to change. Worldly pleasures say, I won't consider a relationship with Jesus because I know that there are things that I'm doing currently that would not be pleasing to God, and I'm not willing to give those things up right now. I've got to have one last party, one last good time, one last pleasure, and then, then I will consider a relationship with God. In other words, when I've gone out and sown my wild oats, had all the fun, when I've experienced all the things that I want to experience, then it's going to be me and you, God. You know, I was foolish enough in those years to have thought, I can live my life for me, and then right before I die, I'll get right with God. (laughs) Can I tell you how foolish that is? We call it having your cake and eating it too. That's what I was doing. For me, it was more a matter of timing than it was a matter of the heart. It wasn't what God had for me, but what I could get from life and what I could do. And when I began to understand what the kingdom of God meant, I discovered that kingdom thinking is not about me. It's about God. Now that changed everything, and I'll tell you why. It's not about me needing to make changes in my life in, in, so that I can become fit to serve God. You see, that was my mindset. Well, I can't continue doing what I want to do and at the same time serve God. So when I get through doing what I want to do, then I'll make a decision for God. doesn't work that way. You don't have to make yourself fit for God. God loves you just the way that you are. Kingdom thinking will tell you that. And that's the great thing about God. (laughs) He'll take you just the way that you are, whether that means broken or defective, whether that means you're living in the deepest sin, God will still take you just the way you are. Why? Because he wants a relationship with you if only you'll turn away from the way that you've been living. Anything that you give up for God, I've found, is going to be replaced by something infinitely better. It's just the way that it works. God's never deprived me of anything that he hasn't replaced with something infinitely better. Now, one last hint that you might bump into in camp almost. Nothing is worse than a powerful grip that something has on a person. And this tent has the same grip that the tent of conventional thinking has. It's called the tent of personal ambition. Now let me just say that I I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. It's good to have ambition in your life. As a matter of fact, nothing is worse than than someone who has no idea of the direction their life is going. But when your personal ambition hinders or even replaces God in your life, 
you're going to find yourself in big trouble. The Apostle John, again, warns us, for all that is in the world, and he's talking about the lust of the flesh, and when he says the lust of the flesh, that is the things that feel good to me. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, those things that you desire, and the pride of life, that is the recognition that you crave. John says that is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world, he goes on to say, is passing away. By the way, that's 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. You might think you're doing okay. And maybe you are in the eyes of the world, but trust me, all of that stuff, all of those feelings can go away in a heartbeat. Stock markets crash. Hail destroys crops. Businesses fail. Marriages fall apart. Your health can decline overnight. Doesn't take much to change the course of your life. But that's the best thing that I can say about a relationship with Christ. Things in your life may change, but Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I say he doesn't change. Yeah, he kind of does. He gets better and better. Amen? It gets better and better. Again, the Apostle John says it this way in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Do you see the difference? Old things pass away. All things become new. He makes us over again. We are, we are literally born again into a new lifestyle. And I'm closing with this statement. Eternity is something that none of us should ever be playing with. Because eternity is far too important to take casually. The question I have for you this morning, how long are you going to stay in the camp almost? How long are you going to stay there? There might be some here this morning that will either tune me out by saying, you know what, I've heard all of this before, Pastor, and it's really not for me. There may be others here this morning who, who simply dismiss what I've said with the word, whatever. Man, I hate that word. I hate to tell you this, but those two descriptions, even if you're here this morning, somebody who says they've heard it all before or somebody who just dismisses it with the word whatever, those two scriptures, descriptions excuse me, are what the scriptures liken to being fools. Eternity is nothing to play with. But here's the deal. I'm praying that there will be here, those here this morning that say, you know what, there have been times in the past when I've almost been persuaded. And my prayer this morning is that today they are saying, today is the day I'm leaving camp almost. Today is the day I am making a solid decision to make Jesus my Lord and Savior.
Would you bow with me, please? Jacob, musicians, would you come, please? Honestly, friends, I can't make it any simpler than what I've made it this morning. I can make it a lot longer, but I can't make it any simpler. Eternity is nothing to mess with. Not one of us in this room has a guarantee of a tomorrow. And so when we make a statement like, oh, you know what, I might consider making that decision tomorrow. Well, good luck with that. I pray that you have many tomorrows. But just in case you don't, today's the day. There are people sitting in this room right now that have experienced situations in their lives where loved ones have been snuffed out into eternity at the snap of a finger. And as as morbid and unthinkable as that is, those things happen. And they can happen to any of us. And if something like that were to happen, I want to know that I know that I know that I know that I have made a decision and that my last earthly breath here is going to be followed by a breath of heavenly air in heaven with Jesus. I want to know that. I don't don't want to take the chance of something, something happening that's so devastating and so, so quick in its happening that I don't have that opportunity to make that decision that I almost made earlier. Friends, that's the reality of life. I hate to tell you that, but that's just the reality of life. We don't have the assurance of another breath. And yes, God has been patient with us, but... There will come a time, there will come a time in everyone's life when God's patience runs out. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm looking for those of you who are saying today, I've almost made this decision to follow Jesus in the past and haven't done it. But today's the day I make a concrete decision. Just raise your hand. You want to make a decision to follow Jesus today. Anyone, anywhere. Lord Jesus, I know that you didn't lay this message upon my heart by random chance. I know that you, may, you did that for a specific purpose. And there are some in this room this morning, Lord, that need to make that firm, concrete decision to follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would not let them go. Keep speaking to their heart, either in this room or at the lunch following or on their way home. Keep pounding upon their heart. Today is the day. Today is the day.
there may be those here, Lord, who have, who have made that decision for you, and we thank you and praise you for that. But today is the day that they need to make up, make that decision to, to give up that thing that's holding them back from living a life of abundance in Christ. It may be a habit. It may be a situation. It may be a friendship, Lord, that, that holds them back from fully committing themselves to living for you. And again, Holy Spirit, I pray that you are speaking to their heart even at this moment. Compelling them, telling them, I have so much more for you. If only, if only you'll leave this behind or that behind. Leave camp almost behind. And come into the fullness of my presence. And Jesus, I know what those kind of struggles are like. I know those struggles of of giving up habits and and addictions and, and stinking thinking. I know about those things, and I know how hard they are to do. But that's why when we make a decision to do them, we have the assurance that we have the power to make those things happen because there is power in the name of Jesus. Give us that power today. In Jesus' name, Jacob, lead us. Would you stand to your feet, please?